0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Revelation 19, verses 6 through 10. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, send us your spirit to open our ears to hear your word today. As we hear your word and receive your spirit, give us a deep joy and love for you, just as a bride loves and enjoys her groom. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim, I'm the interim pastor here at ACC. As uh, we prayed, as Brian prayed earlier, we're in that process right now of still uh, searching for a new pastor for us, and we're praying, and I ask you to continue to pray for us as a church as we look for the man that God has for us, and we hope that that will be brought forward sometime this year. That's at least my hope, and I hope that's your hope as well. And if you're here today and you're new, I want to say, uh, or this is your first time here, I have to say that you've come at a good time because we're going to introduce a new sermon series uh, today. We're actually, this is the first Sunday of a seven-week series on the metaphors of the church, or what I would call the metaphors of the beloved. We will be exploring the fundamental question of what is the church? The Bible, as you know, is full of metaphors that God uses to describe His people, some of them you may know, like the church is described as salt and light, the temple of God, a chosen race, and the body of Christ, as well as many others. You know, This quarter, we are going to be walking through these metaphors in our community groups. So if you're not part of a community group, let me encourage you to join one. We even have some that primarily meet online. So it's a great time for you to be able to follow along with these sermons by joining a community group and getting connected with others here in this body. You know, I want us to spend some time looking at these pictures of the church as they give us greater insight into what it means for us collectively to be the people of God. Today we're looking at Revelation 19, which describes the church as a beautiful bride. We see this in verse 7 with, "...for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready." The bride is God's holy people, as verse 8 makes clear. Most people know, uh, most people I know at least, love weddings, whether you've been married or not, right? Weddings generally overflow with joy, laughter, music, singing. I mean, there's dancing, there's uh, DJs, there's bands. Nowadays, you can have all kinds of things at your wedding in order to celebrate. And it's it's a great time. And everyone I said, like everyone I know, enjoys a good wedding. A bride is often described as beautiful, pure, and holy. Now, The picture of a bride and wedding captures much about the church, and it's a metaphor most often used by God to describe His church, to describe His people. It's a metaphor most often used in Scripture to describe who we are as God's people. Now marriage vividly illustrates God's relationship with us, and we see this clearly in the Old Testament the prophets frequently depicted Israel as the wife of God. Now, you have to understand, Israel was or is the people of God, and they were depicted as God, as the wife of Yahweh. They emphasized, the, the, the prophets emphasized the intimate connection and commitment God had with his people. You see this clearly in Hosea chapter 2, where it says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord." Negatively, Israel's unfaithfulness in the Old Testament was often compared to adultery. Again, you see this clearly from the prophet Hosea. The book primarily focuses on the relationship between the prophet Hosea and his unfaithful wife, Gomer. Hosea's personal experiences served as a metaphor for God's relationship with his unfaithful and adulterous people. Now, in the New Covenant, Jesus portrays himself as the bridegroom, and we see this in all four Gospels. It's laid out very clearly in all four Gospels. Paul and John, the Apostle Paul and John, pick up Jesus' metaphor and depict the church as the bride of Christ. You see this throughout Paul's writings and here in Revelation 19 and Revelation 21 as well. This use of the bride and bridegroom language communicates to us God's perfect love for His people, and it anticipates a joyous, intimate experience of God's personal presence in the new creation, in new heavens, in the new earth. In the book of Revelation, John is the author, and he's telling us what is to come for the church. And he does that really through a series of visions or through a series of images. In the beginning of chapter 19, recounts to us, if ever so briefly, what has transpired in chapter 17 and 18. Those two chapters depict the fall of Babylon, the great prostitute. And if, you, if we had read the first six verses or the first five verses of chapter 19, you would have seen that there was this period of praise on the fall of this great prostitute, the fall of Babylon. Babylon. God, the idea in chapter 7 and 18 is that God has triumphed over Satan's evil spiritual kingdom and all those who aligned with him. Now, chapter 19 opens with this beautiful worship service and a series of hallelujahs, actually four hallelujahs. And if you know the hallelujah chorus, that's where um, that, that comes from. It comes here out of chapter 19, And chapter 19 is this this picture of this worship service, uh, of this mighty worship service, of praising and lifting up prayer to God because the cosmic battle is over and God will forever and ever reign as king. God's victory begins here in verses 6 through 10 with the announcement that it's time for the wedding of the Lamb the great multitude in heaven celebrates the beginning of God's eternal reign with a promised blessing on those who are invited to the Lamb's wedding feast. And you see that in, in verse 9. And you'll notice, if you read through 6 through 10 carefully, that I mix my metaphors all the time. John isn't mixing his metaphors here. But what he is doing is he's using two different metaphors to say that the bride is the church, and those invited to the get, to the the, the the feast of the Lamb to the, the wedding supper of the Lamb is also the church. So I don't want you to get confused. Just know that it's the same. It's the church is both. He's using both both ideas in this place to express that yes, who's invited to the the wedding supper of the Lamb? The church. Who's who's God marrying? The church. It's the same. Just don't get confused. He's not mixing his metaphors. It's just the way he carries out these this particular teaching. You know, as as you keep reading through chapter nineteen, what follows verses. Verses 10, or starting with actually verse 11 through 15, is this picture of Christ returning for his bride. So 6 to 10 is the, the wedding feast is being laid out. 10 or 11 through 15 is Christ is coming back on a white horse and he's called faithful and true. And he's coming back for his bride as the bridegroom. And then what follows with the rest of chapter 19 is 20 is really a series of visions showing God's final judgment on his enemies. And in Revelation, of course, many of you know Revelation comes to an end with the promised new heavens and new earth descending with God as King and His bride united to Him for all eternity. This is the context of the wedding of the Lamb that's before us today. Now, I want us to look at three things that the metaphor of the Bride of Christ conveys to us about the Church. First, I want us to notice that the Church is the bride chosen in love And as a bride who is secure. And then lastly, I want us to notice that the church is being prepared for her bridegroom. Now, before I go on, let me just remind you, I I know as a man, sometimes maybe you're sitting out here, I can't really identify with being a bride. Um, And I understand that, right? It's hard. You're you're male. You're not a bride. You've never been a bride. Um, However, you're not a sheep and we're called sheep in Scripture, so you just need to look past that. It's okay um, for us to look at Scripture this way. This is how God is laying this out for us to understand the depth of His love for His church, for His people. So in the Western world, most of us choose a husband or a wife, right? But there's no real consensus on how we do that other than the fact that we meet somebody, maybe at work or at school, uh, maybe online, and you develop a relationship with them and you choose them or they choose you to be their bride or to be their husband. Now if there was a consensus way of doing that in the Western world, then, then you would make a lot of money right now, I think, because I think that's one of our challenges here in the West is there is no particular way for how do we go about finding a bride or how do we go about finding and choosing your husband. However, in the ancient Near Eastern cultures, marriages, marriages were typically arranged. They were arranged for reasons such as politics, social standings, and even economics. That may sound strange to our ears today, and yet a good portion of our world today still practices arranged marriages. Karen and I work with South Asians. Almost every one of the women that we know in our community, their marriages were arranged, starting at about age 15 or 16 years old uh, in Bangladesh, not, not here in the US. Regardless of whether a marriage was arranged or not, the bride is still chosen. Friends, the church was chosen by God in Christ. The church was chosen by God for Christ. Becoming part of His Church through faith means Jesus chose you, that Jesus chose us. He took the initiative in establishing the relationship, not the other way around. It was His choice, not ours. In Ephesians 1, we encounter these words, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. If we are in Christ, says Paul, we were chosen by Him, by Jesus, before the world ever came into existence. This means that, that you have been on Jesus' mind for millennia. Long before you ever heard of His name, you were on the mind of Jesus. This revelation, I don't know about you, but this revelation should ignite a passionate response in our hearts. We know Jesus, but we have been known by Him far, far longer and more deeply than we could ever know Him. We are chosen, we are beloved, and we are loved as His church, as His people. Now, many of you know, as I I said a few weeks ago, Karen and I have been married for 27 years. Ooh, that's right. That's a good shout out. Thank you there. When we were preparing for our wedding, I loved almost every moment of that preparation time. And when the day on our engagement, our engagement was about seven months, it lasted for about seven months. And on the day, when the day finally arrived, I was so excited and ready to be married. Karen came out. Karen was, you know, at a wedding. She's not out here. I'm standing down front and she began walking down the aisle and she has this beautiful, beautiful white dress on. She's got a veil over her face, and my heart, as I'm standing down here, my heart began to rejoice. I was so excited and so happy as my beloved walked down the aisle to be at my side. You know, I still remember that vividly 27 years later. Church, if I, a sinner with a divided heart, can feel such love and joy and happiness for my bride, how much more intense must be Christ's longing as the bridegroom? longing for his church, longing for his people. I know we live at a time when the church is looked down upon, mocked even. Some of us may even approach church as if it's secondary. Some of you may even church hop. You're here one week, you're another church another week, you know, always looking for something a little bit better, maybe a little bit different. Or maybe you attend church rarely um, or not at all. You choose to stay home and worship. Some of you may have even been hurt by the church. And for that, I just want you to know I'm deeply, deeply sorry. The church should be a safe place for us, and we should work to make it a safe place even as Jesus has made us safe. Friends, here's the thing. Jesus loves the church even with all its blemishes and wrinkles. And we must, do. That's the thing. We must, do. Because Jesus loves the church, even with its faults, we, as his people, must love the church. We can't treat it as if it's secondary or it's not important, because it's important to Jesus. Jesus holds his bride in the highest regards. He takes joy in her. Despite our neediness, despite our pettiness and sinfulness, Jesus loves us, even with our flaws. He chose us because He loves us. He doesn't choose us because there's something good in us. No, we are broken, sinful people, and as His bride, we're honestly, we're a mess. Yet, His love for us should cause each of us here to rejoice and praise our bridegroom because He loved us before the foundations of the world were ever laid. The second idea that this metaphor touches on is that the bride of Christ is secure. Yes, we are chosen and beloved, but we're also secure in Christ. Again, in the ancient Near East, engagements were regarded as permanent. Think about this. Do you remember when Joseph discovered Mary was pregnant, right? The mother of Jesus was pregnant even before their actual wedding. What did Joseph want to do? He wanted to quietly divorce Mary. He wanted to quietly put her away, which showed at that time that their engagement was more than our engagement. It was on the same level as a marriage already, even though their marriage had not been consummated. Of course, today engagements are not as binding, but it's still uncommon for an engagement to be called off after a couple decide to marry. Marriage is really unlike any other relationship that exists between us. And the reason it's unlike any other relationship is that it intertwines both law and love. Think about it. If you enter into a business relationship, you have laws and contracts that you sign, but no real intimate personal relationship with your business partner. You can end that business relationship anytime you want based on the contractual agreement that you've entered into. Marriage, on the other hand, has a personal commitment or relationship element to it, It's it's not just a contractual relationship, and yet it's more than a friendship. A friendship has a personal commitment part, but not the contractual part. Most people don't have written rules or contracts around friendships, at least not written down anyway, and nobody says, I'm your friend until death do us part. Now, we may think that, but it's not written in a contract for us. But you do have both of these elements in a marriage—law and love—that bind you together for all of life. Marriage is unique, and it's more intimate than a contractual relationship, and it's more loving and more binding than a friendship. It's permanent, and it's meant to be for our good and for our flourishing. Friends, Jesus is, for us, the perfect groom. He has entered into that kind of relationship with you and me. He's committed to us, and He loves us. Because of His commitment and love, we can be secure in our relationship with Him. Jesus has chosen His bride, He's chosen His church, and the promise to us is that He will never leave us or forsake us. Because His love is eternal and established in His perfect character, in His perfect nature. Paul says something interesting in 2 Timothy 2 to to reassure us as the bride of Christ. He says this, if we are faithless, Jesus remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. His faithfulness to us doesn't hinge on our performance. We sometimes think and act as if God's faithfulness to us is dependent on us, on, uh, dependent on what we do or don't do. Some of you may live in fear and uncertainty, constantly worrying and questioning God's love and faithfulness to you because you screwed up today or because you messed up yesterday. Church, according to the Bible, God's faithfulness isn't dependent on our human actions or behavior. Scripture consistently emphasizes God's unwavering and unconditional faithfulness to His church, to His people. This means that even when we fall short, or are, or are unfaithful even, God's faithfulness remains constant. Why is that? Because His faithfulness is anchored in His nature. It's anchored in His character. It's anchored in His covenant promises to His people. It's not dependent on what we do or how we perform for Him. Of course, church, we're to strive for faith and obedience, but God's faithfulness endures regardless of our actions. He is unwaveringly faithful. And because of that, we are secure in His love. We don't have to worry about, you don't have to wonder, you don't have to struggle with, are you loved? If you are part of His church, if you belong to, his, belong to Christ, if you are His bride, then you are dearly and deeply and fully loved. And you can stand on that and you can cling, on, cling to that even when you're wrestling in your head with those thoughts of does God love me? Does God care for me? This passage, if anywhere, this one and Ephesians 5 should secure to you the knowledge that you are deeply and fully loved as the bride of Christ. You know, being part of the church, belonging to Christ, signifies that you're chosen, that you are secure, and that you are being prepared for the day of the wedding. When a bride and groom become engaged, they embark on planning a wedding. Think of all the arrangements involved in hosting a wedding. All right, you first, you have to decide on a date of when you're going to get married. You have to figure out what venue or where you're going to host the, the wedding, whether a church or a hall. Uh, you, if you're going to have dinner, you're going to need a caterer. Maybe you're going to need a florist, a photographer. And of course, you've got to pick out the dress and decide on the cake. There's there's a host of things that go into preparing for the wedding. And in verse 7 and 8, John envisions the bride being prepared for the wedding. He says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, give God glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her and in fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. We are undergoing preparation because Jesus desires a flawless bride for his wedding. We as a church are being prepared to look stunning, to to look beautiful. John says the bride has made herself ready. How does she get herself ready for the wedding, though? John answers that she's given fine linen bright and clean to wear. The bride can prepare herself for the wedding only because God has given her the clothes, the fine linen that she needs. John is saying to us as a church that the church is pure and clean because of the grace of God given to us freely in Christ. Not because of what we do, but because of God's grace offered to us in Christ. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What Paul is telling us is that Jesus cleanses the church and presents her to himself without stain or wrinkle, blameless and holy. Do you think of yourself that way? Do you see yourself as cleansed and holy? Do you understand that Jesus does? When we're united to him in faith, that's how God views us through his son. Do we look at other church members through the eyes of Jesus? Or do we only see their faults? Or where they annoy us? Or where we struggle with them? Or are we quick to condemn and simply judge one another, not believing that Jesus has fully washed and purified my brother and my sister? Look, Jesus is preparing His bride, and as His bride, we have obligations to Him. First, we're to remain faithful to the bridegroom. We're to demonstrate our love and our devotion and eagerly, by eagerly anticipating His arrival. God desires a faithful, attentive bride, a faithful, attentive church. The call and challenge for us as the church is to be faithful in our actions and in our beliefs as we wait for the bridegroom. That means we are to live in a way that brings praise and glory to Christ, our groom. We are, we are to be totally, or we are to be morally pure. We're to be above reproach. We are to love God and we're called to love others as well. If the church is to be a faithful bride, moral purity, however, is not enough. We are also called to be faithful in our doctrine. What we confess, that is what we confess and believe. We are called to be faithful to the teaching of the apostles, to the teaching of scripture, which stress that God came down and took On human nature, bearing our sin on the cross, and rose from the dead for our justification. Look, many times people outside the church can be confused by what the good news of Jesus really is or what it's really all about. Many don't see the church as a place of forgiveness and grace, but rather as a place of rules and judgment. As the church, we have not—we have not been faithful in confessing and living out our core beliefs and values with one another or with the world around us. Friends, because we are chosen in love and secure in Christ, we can love and serve each other as Christ calls us to that. Paul says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now notice in verse 8 that John says the fine linen given to the bride stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. What does that mean? At a bare minimum, it means we are to feed the hungry, give a drink to the thirsty, provide hospitality to strangers, clothe the needy, and visit the sick and those in prison. It means to be united and to love one another well. And here's the thing, those aren't my words. You can go to the Gospels and find everything I just said there because those are Jesus' words for us as the church, who He calls us to be. You know, I hope we've seen that being the bride of Christ is our greatest blessing because it signifies that we're dearly loved by Christ and cherished as His beloved bride. You are cherished. We are cherished because Christ has given Himself fully for us. And He is preparing us, as verse 9 says, for the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what we are longing for. That's the day that's ahead of us. We're in the middle of being prepared for the wedding. We're getting ourselves ready for what? The wedding supper of the Lamb. All right, And you can read about that more in chapter 21. And for time's sake, I'm not going to go there. But there's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth, the new city, the church, descending down with God and Jesus as the groom in the church, the New Jerusalem, as the bride of Christ, descending down. And it goes on to tell us in 21, well, there'll be no weeping, there'll be no tears, there'll be no pain, because the wedding supper of the Lamb has come, and there's now only rejoicing for those who are in Christ. Because there's only rejoicing, therefore, let us live our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to Christ, who has sacrificed himself for us would you pray with me? Father God, it's hard to believe that you would call us into this kind of relationship, so intimate, so deep and enduring. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you chose us. Thank you for making us secure in your love. Thank you, Father, that you are preparing us, making us beautiful for Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.